What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Dinding. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about organizational change, culture, and communication. I want to welcome Flip Brown. He's the founder and CEO of Business Culture Consultants. Flip Brown has served as a catalyst for individual and organizational changes for over 20 years. He works with his clients to help them see change and sustain their patterns of communication, interaction, and engagement. Welcome, Flip. I'm looking so much forward to, um, to our conversation today. Thank you, Santa. I'm excited to be here. Good. So um, I can see you've worked with you know, over 100 different organizations on you know, how to make work better. So how do you do that? Well, we. one of my statements that I like is, I'm successful because of my personality. I'm also successful in spite of my personality. So we all come into the workplace and we a lot of times will believe that if we just have good people with good personalities that it'll all work out somehow and we actually need that plus we need a set of best practices because in any relationship personal or business conflict is inevitable people arrive at work with different experiences different expectations different assumptions different needs and the process of working through that so that you have better business results and a deeper sense of meaning and fulfillment, I serve my clients to help them achieve that. Yeah. So do you, you, did you, do you teach them or dress them up better, right? Because, you know, yeah, on how to solve. So if you have these conflicts at work, how to turn them into opportunities? Is, is that what you're the main? Well, you know, when I grew up in the Midwest um, with my wonderful family, conflict was something to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. So um, I didn't realize that there was a full toolbox in terms of how to understand conflict, how it triggers us, how to move through it, and ultimately how to see conflict in almost all cases as an opportunity for deeper learning and understanding. So I work with my clients to help them understand the core principles, but that's not enough because We've all been to fabulous workshops or gone on offsite retreats and went, yes, we're going to make some change. Yeah, and then we go fair. back to work, we get swept along and it just evaporates. So yeah. I coached them in real time in the actual situations that are, emerge in the workplace, generally over the course of six, 12 or 18 months. Yeah. So do you, do you help? So with, with these real examples, do you go in and... Is it, is it a dialogue then, or is it, do you have different tools where you take them through it? So, because you want them to have it, it has to be their behavior and their habits you're going to, uh, to touch and change mm -hmm. on the way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first I have to develop what I call a container of rust. Yeah. Because um, without that, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. And that's why it's important before we even agree to do business together to have what I call the matching conversation. Is it gonna be a match for my potential client? And quite frankly, is it gonna be a match for me? Because my business is based on a relational model, not a transactional model. Yeah. 
So if people ask me if I do trainings, I don't do standalone trainings unless it's part of a much larger project. But if I have that container of trust, then I can both support and challenge them. Supporting them is important, but if that's all that happens, it feels warm and fuzzy, but nothing changes. Yeah. And if I just challenge them, it may feel too harsh or it's I'm imposing my agenda. Yeah. So that's the dance we do. And I'm able to see the disconnects that happen in real time. Yeah. Now, of course, um, meetings are a rich place for these observations because um, I think there's more Dilbert cartoons about meetings than anything. But, (laughs) you know, meetings bring the individual dynamics into a group setting um, and it just gets more complex. But regardless, on an individual basis, it's important that everyone recognize their contributions and yeah. avoidance of the contribution, because otherwise we just fall into fault and blame. And we live in a society that's uh, really focused on fault and blame around a whole uh, range yeah. of issues. Yeah, so it's the trust as well. And then you can sit there and saying, I did a mistake, or I made a mistake, um, and be sure that you're getting, still getting the support on getting back on track. What, yeah, so and, just, uh, uh, oh, yeah, continue. Well, just uh, one question that I love to ask people in the workplace is that if you were doing something that you were unaware of, that was invisible to you, that was inadvertently having a negative impact on your team or on your results, do you want to know what it is? Yeah. You know, and everyone but the cynic will say, yes, of course. But yeah. now comes the difficult question. On that basis, would you be willing to commit to a process that over time would bring those patterns into your conscious awareness in the moment so that you could see them, practice new patterns, and then sustain those over time. Because yeah. that's what I call the work. Yeah, that's that's the tough one. So on the whole sustaining all these changes on new habits and how you communicate, um, that's not easy. Um, right. And I don't think every, in organization are different. You have different people, you have different organizations. Um, so, so what is, what, what do you see that if you should give some kind of saying, this is the way or the top three, um, you should look for first because it, it, it is hard to get started. What should the, what should you do? Well, one question is what kind of culture do you have in terms of values? Because if your number one value is to make profit above anything else, And unfortunately, that's the way that traditional corporations and Wall Street are structured, then that's going to impede your ability to have what what we call a multiple bottom line approach. Yes, you need robust financial sustainability because profit is the fuel for change, but you also need to have optimal conditions for your workers. You need to have some involvement investment in your various communities. And these days you need to monitor and reduce your environmental impact. So this is what we call the socially responsible business model. Um, I'm also a certified B Corp. And uh, that's the the companies that have actually taken a 200 data point assessment about their impact and are committed to this concept that business should be a force for good because If all you're interested in is making tons of money or stock options, it's not going to be a match for the work that I do. No. Okay. So the, but, but to sustain again, right? Because if you go in and are there for some months and it could be up to 18 months or more, um, how do you, when you leave, right? Yeah. 
yeah. that the whole dynamic, the new culture, yeah. or to sustain it, um, need to to continue. So, what what do you put in place to make sure that 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 actually still continues? Well, when I first arrive in a workplace culture, I'm the one who is essentially driving the process. I'm bringing in a different perspective, different tools. We have different kinds of conversations. And it usually takes six, eight, 10, 12 weeks to really get some traction uh, in this new way. Yeah. But over time, instead of my having primary ownership of the process for change, it transfers to everyone in the organization having a shared ownership of the process of continuous improvement. And I know that because they start to report in terms of their own behavior and the behaviors of others that they are seeing changes, experiencing those changes, and it then sort of feeds on itself in a positive way. Now, one of the most important elements to that is that the people who are designated as leaders or you know, they have the uh, authority um, to supervise and manage other people, they need to have what I call appropriate professional vulnerability. Yeah. Because yeah. if the people in the organization don't see them making the effort, don't see them admitting mistakes, don't see them um, trying sometimes in a clumsy way to change their patterns, uh, then people get cynical and you have the gap between what we call the espoused values, this is what we believe in, and the observed behaviors. Um, you know, the classic one is the manager who insists that their employees arrive um, on time and then they wander in late more often than not. Yeah. So, so there has to be congruency between the commitments and the actual behaviors. Yeah. So I read that in Harvard Business Review, they know that almost one third of employees who experience an organizational change don't actually know why the change is happening. Yep. Um, is that something you've seen with, with your clients? Well, I would imagine some of that research is drawn from large corporations. And you know, I can't engage with a company of 5,000 employees and truly affect change because I am a, a solo practice. The folks that I work with are generally entrepreneurs with maybe two or 300 employees or less, sometimes even 10 or less. And in that situation, if there is not transparency of the, uh, the values, the mission, the vision, and the strategy, then I'm going to notice that. I'm going to challenge that. And if you don't have that level of authenticity and integrity, then yeah, you're not going to get the buy-in and people are not going to be uh, motivated to, to support the change and to do it in, in a personal way. Yeah. So one of the most important things that I actually assess when I go into an organization is for all the employees, what is their level of optimism about the future of the company? Yeah. Because if people are optimistic, then they will put energy into the change efforts. But if they're pessimistic, it's going to be a wait and see attitude. Yeah. I will be positive. No. Um, timing is, is also one of the biggest problems when it comes to change. Um, and a lot of time it's not the, the act itself that creates the resistance, but it, it's how and when it's delivered. And I'm mm -hmm. sure this ties to communication. So mm -hmm. 
um, any, you know, from you here, right? How, sure. how do you support on how to deliver this, this change? Is it everything at once or is it in smaller pieces? Because sometimes you have to say it seven times. Well, what I often see is that the leadership team spends days, weeks, maybe even months planning a significant change in the organization. And what they don't realize is during that time period, they are processing their own emotions about it. Yeah. And then they get everything all lined up. They think they have a clear rationale. They believe that all they have to do is communicate this and the employees will get it. And then once that communication about the change happens, that's when the clock starts for the employees to go through their emotional responses. Yeah. And we all respond to change in different ways and in a different timeline, particularly if the news is negative. And I also experienced what I call the, what I call the, uh, the three buckets is that, you know, let's, let's say that you've des uh, decided to, um, you know, in, in, in the current era here, you're not going to bring everybody back to the office full time. You're going to have a hybrid model. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can work from home two or three days a week, you need to be in the office two or three days a week. Well, to me, the three bucket model is one group of people are going to say, this is fantastic. You know, I think this is just wonderful. Another third will say either, oh, no, 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 I don't want to come back in the office or no, I thrive on my interactions. I want everybody back. So those are the folks who object to the change. And then the third bucket are the people who just say, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll go with whatever happens. And the, the challenge with leaders is that as soon as you're um, implementing a significant change, you're asking people to go into the unknown with you. Yeah. Now, this is very famous in terms of all the movies and books, it's archetypal that the hero supposedly leads us into the unknown, uh, but brings us back to a place of safety. And we're all enriched by that. And so a lot of leaders think that all they have to do is come up with the best logical, rational argument and everyone will, will fall in line and be overjoyed. And it just doesn't work that way. No. It's, it, it is hard. Um, what about wording? Because uh, what I experienced as well with, with this podcast is that we call it, you know, up here, we talk about change. Somebody says it's more evolution or it's a transformation um, mm -hmm. when you're going in and, and have to, to, to touch on behavior and, um, and habits. Mm -hmm. um, so do you use all the words or is change okay or is change too negative? Well, uh, it's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, uh, a quick story. If my wonderful wife comes home at the end of the day and says, hey, Flip, I've been thinking we need to communicate better. And I say, yes, you know what? You're absolutely correct. We do. And she says, great. I'm so glad we have the agreement and we walk away. Nothing is going to be different. No. So we each have to talk about, first of all, what does improved communication mean to you or to me? But more importantly, what might I be doing that gives you the experience of our communication is not optimal? Again, this requires some time, some depth, and some vulnerability because change, as soon as you announce a change, again, it's going to mean different things to different people. 
Yeah. And so you have to be in connection. You have to be in conversation and not just make assumptions that people are going to all fall into line. Um, there's also the difference between, uh, in my work, iterative change, meaning gradual step-by-step, step, and it's not always a linear process. Um, you know, that's sort of like learning a language. You know, you learn some nouns, you learn some vowels, um, you start to put together some phrases, you know, you don't just instantly learn a language. But transformational change is when you have an epiphany such that you realize that you really, from this moment on, things must be different. Now, we sometimes experience that when someone close to us passes away, when we have a uh, serious accident, or you know, when we're terminated from a job where all of a sudden the foundation of our world has been shaken. And on that basis, we need to do things differently. Sometimes it's because of a negative event. Sometimes it's uh, from a very positive event. You can work on iterative change. You can't count on transformational change. Okay. That, that was good. It, I always like the examples. That's not just being, it's, yeah. it's better to understand then. So touching back on you saying that when a change is happening and you're getting into this zone that's not safe anymore, um, mm -hmm. it's now you're, you're stepping into like a new zone. Um, what's, what's your kind of experience to, to foster or create a new zone in these different organizations? And, and I'm sure maybe you can't say, oh, that's just one cookie, cookie cutter that will do for everything. I'm sure it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, during the pandemic, I came across a definition. I was actually looking for a, a definition of the word resiliency. And I found one that I just loved from the field of positive psychology, and that is resiliency is the courage to grow through stress. So any change effort is going to create stress. Now, in English, we frequently talk about distress, which is negative stress. The, you know, the prefix dis like dysfunctional. The word that comes from Greek that we don't use is eustress, E-U, stress. Um, we just don't use that word. But what that means is positive stress. So if change means that you are going to expand into a new market or you're launching a new product or service or um, you just got a whole bunch of new funding, um, that could create some stress just in terms of adjusting your operations, your personnel, et cetera. But most of us would experience that as positive stress because without any positive stress, we are bored silly. The, the, the challenge is how to manage the negative stress so that it doesn't impede our ability as individuals or teams um, to have a reasonably positive experience at work more often than not. And again, that, create, that requires balancing empathy and effectiveness. It requires balancing inclusiveness and decisiveness, uh, balancing autonomy and consistency. And so there is no static state. You know, work no. is a dynamic process. And having people who can practice this resiliency of the courage to grow through stress, then we 
have a sense of belonging. And that can be really powerful. At the same time, we also have to be mindful that not everyone has the same identities and experiences that, that we do. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing a, a quote from a colleague here, and that is, diversity is a fact, being inclusive is a choice, and equity is a practice. So we do want to be mindful of taking in different perspectives, needs, identities, so that we have a rich combination of um, capabilities in our organization. And you know, another way to express that is when you hire new employees, you have to balance both cultural fit and cultural expansion. Yeah. There's more to it. What about with the, the pandemic? Um, and we're, we're still in it. Um, have you seen mm -hmm. anything there? You know, how does that impact the company culture? Well, it certainly has had an impact in terms of reducing the amount of actual face-to-face, person-to-person time that we spend. And there certainly are advantages in terms of life via Zoom. You know, there's less carbon footprint from people traveling all over. Yeah. Um, we only we only have to worry about the shirts and blouses we wear. We don't have to worry <laughs> about anything else. <laughs> um, but I think something is really missing when we don't have the warmth of human presence. Yeah. And so I'm advising my clients who, who want to remain remote or have the hybrid model that you have to bring people together four times a year. Yeah. You have to actually be in the same space. Um, but I also think the pandemic has required a lot of us to look at our own personal and business values and to really look at what's important. Yeah. And um, how do I want to direct my energy? What do I want to spend my money on? And, um, you know, how do I find more meaning and fulfillment as I go through work and life? Yeah. No, yeah. And I, I think we, we all seen it. Um, I've been a lot of Zoom calls. Um, but still, when you are in the office or you see people, it, it, you just get that extra dimension. Um, that yeah. you don't sense when when you are on, on calls, but but you can also do a lot. I think pre preparing for for bigger meetings that can happen yeah. on on remote. Uh, yeah. where, where, so you can you can spend your time in a wiser way, but we still have to learn how to spend it um, and split it up. I think that's that's for me. That's still a learning curve. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the good news with the remote environment is to some extent there's less distractions from your teammate. Of course. That assumes that you're not going to all the various corners of the internet while you're trying to work. Yeah. Um, but the disadvantage is we lose the spontaneity of me just walking over to your desk and saying, hey, Santa, you know, what do you think about this? Yeah. Um, or, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee and uh, yeah. go over this proposal? So everything has to be scheduled and everything's in time blocks. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you if if everybody or if you are remote, right, you have to make sure that you you make time for that, the small yeah. talk. And right. just don't have meetings that's only about meetings. You need to find a way because otherwise you won't get, get you need to get a little bit personal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, the, I think that that's also part of creating a good culture. Yes, yes. Yeah, and there are some questions that we can ask um, 
that bring out some of our more human qualities um, that, and, and make it a little more fun. Yeah. Yeah, we always <laughs> icebreaker questions. No, um, yeah. what about I? I always struggle with. Um, I, I'm I'm fine with sharing, you know, my mistakes with my team, but um, but I can see in, in the different organizations I've been in, it's not every it's not easy for everyone to say, hey, I actually made a mistake, um, and either ask for help or ask mm -hmm. to say, hey, how do we get back on track, or how do we create a new plan, or how do we go to the customer and tell them that. Uh, they won't receive what we promised them, um, mm -hmm. and and what's the best way? So, mm -hmm. have you what what's your what's your input or angle to? It's it's a touchy subject. I I get it, mm -hmm. uh, but, mm -hmm. but for for the for your coworkers where it's difficult for them to to actually to to show <laughs> the dirty laundry, right? <laughs> that right. something is not right. Um, what's, what's, your, what's your advice here? Well, one of my most popular talks or presentations is what I call the art of supportive confrontation, uh, an essential element of creative conflict. So this idea that if you and I are working together and there's some value or principle that I'm experiencing is out of alignment, well, I can strengthen our relationship by bringing that to your attention in a way that you're more likely to be receptive to that. But it requires having the emotional intelligence to understand what I'm feeling, because if all I'm doing is dumping my frustration on you, then you're uh, unlikely to actually hear what I'm trying to say, and you're unlikely to respond in a helpful way. So I need to understand my emotions. I need to use language in a skillful way. Um, there's a there's a big difference, of course, between saying, well, you know, you did it this way, you know, why did it happen versus, so help me understand when you made this decision. Um, so we can use language in a certain way. And then if everyone in the workplace culture has the permission that we can both initiate these conversations, which may or may not turn out to be difficult, but we have the tools for that, but also that we need to receive those so that if you come to me and say, hey, Flip, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I thought you would want to know, I'm not sure if you recognize how many times you interrupted others during our staff meeting. I know you're excited, you had a lot of passion, but I just thought you'd want to know that. And instead of saying, well, Santa, who the heck are you to, you know, bring that up? I, I would want to say, wow, well, thank you. It's hard to hear, but it obviously took some courage to bring that to my attention. And now that you mention it, yeah, I, I, I do need to work on that. So when those interactions start to happen, the whole culture starts to move to what I call the next plateau, where everyone has the tools the permission and the courage to have any conversation they need to have. Yeah. So what you're saying is that it can start in in small in small ways, right? Or with communication, but it, it, yeah. it is in smaller topics, if that if that's what we could say, we could call it. Yeah. Um, and then you're building up that trust that you can go to this person and ask in a much better way instead of complaining or whining. You're going to say, right. "Help me understand." Um, yeah. And 
that goes all the way up to whoever has the title of executive director or CEO that you can challenge them yeah. because they have this appropriate professional vulnerability to be able to listen without being defensive. The number one thing that stands in the way of that is this confusion of people who have risen to a certain level in an organization, and then they believe that who they are is based on what they do. Their competence becomes their identity. Yeah. So that if you challenge them in what they are doing or not doing, they take it personally, and then you're in the soup together. Yeah. So that's why it's important to say business. Let's just stay with the business. It's not personal. Well, it's not personal, and yet we want to be personable. Yeah. You know, it's interesting the wordplay between person, persona, personality, and personable, because they all mean something uh, different, and yet they're all related. Yeah. Yeah, and and to tag a lad, right? And now that you work remote or work from home, suddenly yeah. you're, you're getting you're getting closer to some of these P's that you just mentioned. Um, yeah, right, right. Um, because, you know, you're looking into my room and yeah. seeing my guitars hanging in the wall. Um, I'm looking into your room and, and seeing uh, it's quite, quite neat and clean. Yeah, so. in this way. No. <laughs> right, right. But who knows what we're no. not seeing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to give it to her. No. Um, so with all your experience, if you have to look back and then give yourself an advice like 20 years ago, what will yeah. that be? Well, uh, first of all, I got some of the best advice, which I, on the couple occasions that I've forgotten it, it has truly gotten me into trouble. And that advice was, Flip, never work significantly harder than your client. So I am a catalyst, I serve, I facilitate change, but I cannot make change for people. I cannot um, uh, worry that, that uh, I'm not going to be successful or I'm not going to get paid unless and until they change in certain ways. Um, but the advice to myself would be trust that this will unfold for you in ways that you cannot possibly see at this point. So for example, um, I'm working with uh, a division of the United Nations. I never would have imagined that. Yeah. Um, I have had the ability to work with very diverse populations in some fascinating uh, geographic locations. And I've gotten to work with some businesses that are like Ben and Jerry's that are really on the edge of, of changing the way in which we do business. So I didn't have the, the confidence in that my vision would continue to grow and expand. And by doing that, it also both invited and required me to grow and expand as a person and as a professional. Yeah. That's good. Um, so thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Uh, I think it was great to talk about it is really hard to change an organization. Um, yeah. And I learned something new when you talked about the positive stress. Um, I've never heard that combination, uh, but I totally mm -hmm. get it. Uh, right. but, but that was just a, that was a new eye opening for, for me. So, so thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, this has been delightful and um, I'm so glad we connected.
Yeah. If somebody wants to contact you, where, where should they go and look for you? Well, they can go to my website, businesscultureconsultants.com. They can connect with me on LinkedIn, Flip Brown. Um, and if they really want to follow up on anything that we've talked about today, I'd be happy to respond to an email, flip.brown at icloud.com. So these conversations are always interesting and fun. I love what I do, and I feel very fortunate um, to be at this place in, in this time. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Santa. Okay. Well. If you enjoy this podcast, maybe you'd like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure also to check out our website, mindtheinnovation.com. And remember, stay curious and keep learning.